0: Thank you
1: Inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway, this is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, comedy on Power Talk. Please go to our website, PowerTalk.live. Download our free app to your smartphone so you can stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. Can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. And as often happens when you're reaching out into a divine world or a divine frequency and you connect with people, uh, essentially the, um, the caroms of, of the cosmic ocean come and find other people and sweep them into your net. And uh, just on a whim, uh, for the second time, I had a chance to hang with the great producer and singer Daniel Moore. And, uh, you know, knowing that he produced CARP, or yeah, that's right. The, the, uh, this, this, this venerable folk psych, uh, band, uh, in California, you know, he was riffing on, uh, his experience with Gary Busey. And, um, next thing I know, the, the, uh, the post is being shared and this cat comes on and says, you know, I was part of that band. And I said, well, this is really what my show was really all about after eight years and 1500 interviews. And so, uh, get a chance today to talk to a great bass player and, a looking forward to breaking it down john r crowder welcome to the jake feinberg show
2: well thank you very much glad to be here
1: it's an honor to have you man um you know i i kind of wanted you to talk a little bit about in your mind um i've interviewed jimmy lee keltner several times obviously daniel moore um i've interviewed some black musicians from the tulsa area as well um I would like you to talk a little bit about the regional sound of Tulsa in your mind that was there when you were, you know, a kid.
2: Okay. I, well, I didn't grow up in Tulsa. Our first experience in uh, going to Tulsa was playing on the dance party show, which was their local American bandstand equivalent. And, uh, me and a couple of the fellas from Fairfax, Oklahoma, that was our hometown oh, wow. We'd Go over there and play. And, uh, Then as we got older and started uh, to college and so on, uh, we met Gary at about that time. I think I was a sophomore at OSU, Oklahoma State, when Gary transferred down from, uh, I don't think it's Kansas State, but it's whatever's in, Coffeyville, Kansas. And uh, we ended up kind of starting a house band in the Sigma Chi house where we were pledging couple of the other fellas in the fraternity fleshed out the band and uh we started going to california i think summer of 67
1: this is fantastic so you you you, you grew up in the, in nebraska is that what you said
2: no in oklahoma in oklahoma uh,
1: so was 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 a little bit, yeah
2: it's a little bitty town called fairfax it's up in osage county and the was Oklahoma State?
1: Did you did you spend any time in Oklahoma City at all?
2: Mm, hardly at all. Okay,
1: so no, I'm. I'm, I'm yeah, no, basically. So basically, so so I mean, where you you clearly, I mean, maybe you took some lessons when you were a kid, maybe not, but I mean, the, you were not coming out of the academy. So you guys were all. Oh, no. You guys, you would say you were essentially a street scholar. As it as it relates to the music I mean where were you at um, The magical thing about That whole time period um, Was that you really um, Didn't necessarily know how to play. You didn't have to be a master of your instrument uh, To be able to play music And possibly make a hit record
2: That is correct And I think that was uh, The dream of all of us When we uh, decided to start Mosey into California and see what we could get going in in the big pond. And we went, I think, the summer of '67 and then returned at the end of the summer to Stillwater, Oklahoma. That's where Oklahoma State University is. And uh, we did another year of uh, scholastics and then went back the next summer. And I think that's the summer we stayed.
1: Let's uh, talk about, about this. Left. So so I mean I I mean just saying you went into a fraternity and Busey's already there. I mean did he have like some kind of like like uh I mean was he trying I mean where where were you guys at when you say you fleshed out the band um uh where were I mean what kind of band I mean were you basically playing rock music was I mean or or were did yeah. you know cuz I guess what I'm trying to say is that there yeah. were I mean, the popular musics of that time, because I've interviewed guys that you may even know, like Fred Tackett and Bill Maxwell and people like that. Um, who, I know the names.
2: I, I don't know them.
1: You know, and they were just like... We, uh, we,
2: were, we were just a cover band. We did songs off the radio. We had uh, very strong vocals among us. Everybody in the band could sing a part, and uh, so we could do Beach Boy songs or uh, anything like that. And... Uh, and did, Uh, started off, I had pledged Sigma Chi, as I said, and then Gary transferred down in the middle of the semester from Kansas. And our little band in Sigma Chi, we had uh, keyboard, bass, and guitar. We didn't have a drummer. And so when Gary uh, came down, well, ain't that nice? Well, we got us a little four-piece band, and we started to play... Fraternity parties and such uh, were uh, pretty popular on campus.
1: You 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 know, you had a lot, you had a lot of, you had a lot of women chasing you around and whatnot. I mean, did did can you talk? I mean, I remember talking to um, this cat Paul Hornsby, who was part of the um, the Hourglass, which was the original incarnation of the well, the Almond Greg and Dwayne Allman went out to california uh before they became the Almond brothers around the same time that you guys did um and it's and they just kind of they kind of got tired of the branding and the conformity of the record industry so they skipped back to um i guess it would have been you know alabama or uh where you know macon rather and uh and started the Almond brothers can you talk about i mean i know you guys were literally fish out of water when you got out there in the big bond but what are your memories of that first go-around because I mean 67 was a vibrant cultural year in our country's history I mean you guys were pop were you you doing a lot of psychedelics and what kind of stuff were you doing when you got out there
2: uh no we did very little drugs uh we of course tried everything and uh, we liked the the pot. Yeah. But that was about the extent of it. Uh, We had tried the acid and this and that, but uh, to be honest, didn't care for it. And so, yeah, we just, we played around in clubs in the San Fernando Valley and here and there, and we'd get a, uh, a manager had the fellow named Buddy Resnick for a summer who got us in with Mike Post.
0: Wow. You
2: may know his name. Whoa, whoa. He, uh, he, uh, as you know, has written many TV theme songs, and Lord knows what all, but yeah, we did a record for Reprise uh, at the end of the summer, and we're convinced, uh, you know, stardom just was around the corner, uh, but as it happened, that's when we hooked up with Danny, and he had a partner named Buzz Clifford at the time, and uh, they kind of took us under their wings, and. Uh, got us that deal with epic and uh so we yeah we got to cut a studio cut a album in the big studio
1: i mean i guess let me go back uh, to that you 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 had now um so 67 the end of that year um you cut an album for uh, reprise or reprise and what happened to that material
2: well it just went down the tubes it didn't do anything um, well i mean but it actually it, did it
1: actually get pressed on record
2: yeah i i guess it got uh, distributed to radio stations um don't know but i think the Coffeyville, kansas radio station played it a few times just because we were the local sons so to speak
1: absolutely no no i guess my my what was the name of the album
2: oh it wasn't an album it was just a single a 45
1: right right so what was the name was do you remember the name of the tune that was on i mean this is just important because i mean you're basically hipping me oh yeah
2: yeah. it's a good one are you ready oh i'm ready messing up the mind of a young girl (laughs) And he had all the A-list studio players in there, uh, Jimmy Gordon and Joe Osborne. Holy cow, this is
1: brand new off the... This is why I had Crowder on the program. This is mind-blowing.
2: Yeah, Mike Post, he was uh, awesome.
1: So, I mean... God, this is, I mean, I'm trying to figure out if there's even any kind of information on the internet messing up the mind of a young girl. This is... The, yes, I, I might possibly have a copy. I don't know. Were you, were you going as with the name Carp at that time or was it a different band name?
2: Oh, no, no, no. We, we had a different name then and I'm not sure what it would have been. Might have been the rubber band. We were the rubber band for a while. The I rubber a, band.
1: This is unbelievable. So, so, I mean, wait a minute. I, this is interesting because um, uh, I know that back then, and I think you just sort of fleshed this out, was that um, I think it was based on like union rules, but basically bands that were sort of, it was their maiden voyage. Um, they actually didn't record their music Like it was the Studio Sharks that would come in And record their music And that sounds like what happened You're telling me Jimmy Gordon, Joe Osborne Were the rhythm section on, 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 this, on this 45, on this single
2: Yeah, Mike Dacey,
0: all those
1: guys Oh, Dacey, my uh, God, a dear friend of the program I love Mike Dacey Hold on for a second How did it feel yeah. for Crowder? You personally, how bizarre that you're sitting in the control room watching other people record your music
2: well it wasn't our tune i i'm trying to remember who wrote i think the b-side was written by a fellow named walt meskel who was an associate of uh, mike post and probably buddy resnick who was our manager and uh Let's see, what was that song? I don't remember. Okay, but no, no. Yeah, they, they weren't our original tunes. Uh, they had, uh, I guess Mike helped pick out the song. He may have written it, for all I know. But and, oh, it was wild watching those guys play, because our jaws were just open. My God, listen to these guys play. They're uh, impeccable and playing wild, crazy stuff we'd have never thought of. and I was just running around like a tourist in the studio taking pictures of everybody. Oh, there's Gary Coleman. All right.
1: Gary Coleman. Dude, do you even talk? Do you know, where is Gary Coleman, man? I need to find him, dude. I'm obsessed with Gary Coleman. You, a... The percussionist? Yes, I've, I've been, I, like I told you, Emil Richards, rest in peace, just passed. Him and Gary Coleman were the first top-call percussionists in Los Angeles I cannot believe You just dropped Gary Coleman's name I'm obsessed with Gary I have
2: no idea I have not seen These guys Since 1967 It doesn't matter Crowder. This saw. is so
1: legendary I mean you're, you're telling me That I understand You know Okay so you weren't As good a bass player As Chuck Rainey Or, or you weren't A studio shark Like Osborne and Those cats
2: uh, Not hardly
1: No No, And that's fine But the thing is that I'm still trying To put this together So, so basically I, I Just you have to Excuse, excuse me Because I was I'm just a, a mere lad at 41 years old but I'm really trying to figure this out that 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 you were going to walk away with product let's just say you were called the rubber band what definitely get back to me on what the name of it if you see if you find the 45 let me know but let's just say you walk okay. away you walk away with product and you go back as the uh, to OSU and right okay but yet those two the the forty five is neither an original tune of the Rubber Band nor did you play on it.
2: That is correct. Is that, okay. We sang yeah. on it, and that was it. Oh,
1: okay, okay, <laughs> you, okay. It's vocals. That's the point. It was a vocal. It did, now, um, uh, Moore made the point. To oh
2: God, I've got it in my hand. I knew Hang it. I knew it. Messing up, messing up the mind of a young girl oh, was my. written by Joey Brooks.
1: Joey Brooks. This is ridiculous. I don't know who he is. No, I don't either, dude.
2: <laughs> and it says the Rubber Band, produced by Mike Post, arranged by Mike Post. Holy cow! It's on reprise. The B side is "I'm Gonna Make It." Uh, we were called the Rubber Band at that time, and, and that's uh, that's it. I'm I'm looking at the 45.
1: I just want to say I'm gonna get. I'll get with you later once I do some research, but this could be brand new to the internet. I'm not even kidding you. I mean, this could be brand new because the only thing out there, it's, it's as, it's as mer this is more mercurial and rightfully so than even, I mean, I've the carp record once in a, in a few years, I, you know, I mean, maybe you see it and it take, you have to actually take the time to read the liner notes on the back to see that Busey's on there. And obviously now, that, now I'm bringing Crowder to life as well, but Can you talk about the way you guys um, worked in four-part harmony uh, together? I think it's very sophisticated. It's something that's missing in modern music today because there's not a lot of dynamics in modern music, mainly because the rhythm is mechanical and has been quantized. And you really, and so I'm curious about... Yeah,
0: yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, can you talk about, um, like... Were you, I guess here's the point too, uh, in my fantasy world, I'm thinking Crowder and Busey and you guys are singing your butts off while the, the rhythm sections cooking the groove, but did you overdub your, dub your vocals and, and, and talk about how you guys worked oh, in, yeah. cause you could all sing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We overdubbed the vocals. The guys uh, nailed the basic track down and did all the sweetening that was needed and, uh, then mike got us out there to sing i think i'm pretty sure gary sang the the lead vocal on these on both of them i think and then the rest of us did the ooh ahs and the la las and what
1: have you this is so hold on for a second oh my god all right you know we're talking live here on power talk with with john crowder let's let's sit back and and uh and take a listen to this, and then we'll uh, come back and break it down. All right? Okay, okay. You say you love her, but you
0: don't. You say you'll stay with her that you won't But she's believing everything you say, hey, hey She don't know that nothing's gonna turn out her way But you're messing up the mind of a young girl, yeah Messing up the mind of a young girl such a young stay with her, but you won't. But she's believing everything you say. She don't know that nothing's gonna turn on your But you're messing up the mind of a young girl, yeah. Messing up the mind of a young girl. She's such a young
1: On the Jake Feinberg Show Brought to you by Abbott Taylor Jewelers Craig Pretzinger of Allstate Insurance And Dr. Butch Diggs of Diggs Dental And we can't thank them enough for their support So we can play absolutely insane Going back in the time machine for Crowder A 45 um, on reprise uh, Messing up the mind of a young girl And it sounded like I I mean, I don't know When was the last time you even heard that?
2: oh man That's gotta be 50 years ago
1: oh my god i mean so it says it's funny because people are perplexed um i'll send you the link to where they i found this uh they, there's a guy who has a 45 uh, uh catalog um and then he uploads a uh he uploads them to youtube and um, so, uh, just to be clear, it was Jimmy Gordon, Osborne, I heard a guitar, was Dacey on guitar?
2: That was Mike Dacey oh. playing that. Oh crazy. my He had God. a new amp that made this some kind of crazy feedback that we had never heard. It sounded like he was playing backwards. You know, like when the <laughs> Beatles would put those backwards sections on their record. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what his guitar sounded like. And that. <laughs> And we were freaking
1: out, he dude. Said, this is so. This is my, so. And then also was was Mike Post on piano, or who was on piano? Uh, no,
2: I think that
1: was Nectal. Nectal! Holy cow! Yeah. This isn't so. Then it says here in these notes, it says there are four or five groups called the Rubber Band with releases during oh, the yeah. during the '60s, yeah. um, and they, there's there's a Rubber Band from '69 on GRT, but n- but you guys were already carp at that point. is that? I mean, you didn't do anything other than this. Uh,
2: we had an evolution. We had a problem with naming ourselves. We <laughs> never seemed to be happy. We were Bordine for a while, B-O-R-D-I-N-E. Oh,
1: my God.
2: Because that was Busey's uh, house mother's name up in Kansas. Bordine. And we were number five slop jar oh my. for a spell. Uh, and then we finally settled on Carp and uh, formed a corporation and a publishing company and all this stuff. Superfish Tunes and Trashfish Publishing and Carp the Band.
1: Um, John. Um, now you. I want to be clear. I um, when I interviewed Daniel for the second time, he said you guys were a Tulsa band. You. When did you actually go to Tulsa?
0: Well, oh,
2: we played, uh, gosh, let me get this together. Well, Gary was from Tulsa, and uh, Ron Gatman, who was our guitar player, he and I were from Fairfax, mm-hmm. and Glenn Mitchell, the keyboard player, was from Stillwater. And I'm trying to think when we did play in Tulsa, it had to be, had to be while we were at OSU. I guess it would be pre, oh, pre nineteen seventy.
1: Right. So I, I you know, just week. just to get this chronology correct. I mean, a forty-five was cut. Who was the? I'm sorry. Who was your manager? What was his name?
2: Buddy Resnick.
1: Dude, what a hero that cat is, man! I mean, he took oh, you guys yeah. off the scrap heap. I don't know what he was. That is so ridiculous that he got you in there, and we then went
2: into his. Yeah, we went into his office. Gary had gotten some names from somebody of potential men. Boy saw in his office for him, and just see, we nailed it. And he was blown away. He said, yeah, we'll do something. He got <laughs> us up with, my, with my so, it was the same way he said oh man you guys' harmonies are delicious and had us uh, learn a beach boy song uh, i forget which one but we didn't release it but anyway he he liked it he got us that song messing up the mind i think mike found that one
1: yeah it absolutely here uh, promo copy joey brooks god knows joey brooks productions but um um, yeah, I don't know who you, uh, Is it fair to say? Now, again, I, we're streaming worldwide on internet radio. This is not hard lined. I live in Tucson, Arizona, so we're not hardwired into AM or FM radio. But it's fair to say that you had some—I don't know—you were given some promo copies of it, and you actually just for, gave it to the local station, the OSU, when you were when you came back from California. Is that? And they and then right. they and then they just played it.
2: Right. And the uh, the radio station in Coffeyville, Kansas, which was I don't know, you know, probably a little five thousand watt station or something, and they played it uh, because Gary had gone to school there. They didn't play it for long. We, you know, we were convinced it was going to be a huge
3: hit. Oh yeah, dude. I
1: mean, this this as far as I'm concerned, that thing holds up so that thing is one of the most killer vocal tracks I've heard from that period. It does have a, it does have a lilting beach boy, psychedelic surf sound, but, um, yeah, I mean, part of it, I mean, so, I mean, was, I, I don't want to, I mean, everybody knows Busey as an actor, but what, I mean, he was, was he always kind of one of these, um, people that, that, uh, was a larger than life figure? He had these reputations in different towns. I mean, he, did he have a lot of street cred already, even as a musician? I
2: don't know about that. Yeah. He, uh. He was always uh, very energetic and a, definitely, you know, an A-type personality. Right. And would uh, he was certainly the leader of the band and the director and, uh, you know, persuaded us all to move to California and all that. We were studying to be dentists and school teachers and all that kind of stuff. And then we got to, to sniffing this rock and roll stardom and, <laughs> hey, this wouldn't be
1: bad. And, <laughs> so you so you like it didn't exactly yeah. unfold that way but Well I guess you know it it's, was, fun. No I mean I mean I am curious about not that you you guys were planning, you know, that far ahead and we were not interconnected and you know, I mean just the fact that you had bleed through stations. I mean, who lord knows your song might have gone down to New Orleans on a good night, you know? I mean it was just wide open radio. But when you came back to OSU and then you were sort of playing regional, I mean, was the plan to sort of, I don't know, uh, I mean, traditionally bands make records and then they would go out on a tour and play those songs. Now, again, you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily play the, 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 the instruments, but you were singing. I mean, when you went back, was the plan to work these tunes out? Did you rigorously? Oh, t- yeah, we worked.
2: We worked them out like the next day we could uh you know do a pretty good job as i said we were a cover band before and we could uh always get pretty close to what we heard on the radio and same for this record
1: was there we any Couldn't really yeah.
2: uh, we didn't have the uh, mike daisy screeching guitar
0: amp but we could get
2: the
1: man is totally uh, i mean dude the man um all you need to know about Mike Dacey is that the man played with Cannonball Adderley in 73 and it's just the most it's insane music I've never heard anything quite and they give him a full I think Clapton also wanted his amp or something he he was obsessed with Dacey's amp. Oh. It, I mean Dacey was just channeling something from, from another world but I mean did you he was
0: just,
1: yeah <laughs> you guys are all crazy but the thing is the thing is um, did you have like did you just sort of did you have a plan? I mean, ultimately Carp went back and that's when you cut the record on Epic, but in 70, but was that, the, was that the plan or was it, were you, were you gigging and still playing cover tunes, uh, in that, in, yeah. that, in that couple, couple years before you went back to LA? Oh yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. We played, uh, around in clubs and, uh, and parties and such. And, And I think probably 68, we moved out there for good. Buzz and did the the Carp album. And uh, we we did those tunes, and we bet God a mighty epic set us up with uh, an opening for Sly and the Family Stone. Oh my God, God. oh my God. At Stanford University. Oh, it was a night that will live in horror. I, I don't know,
1: first of all, this is, wait, hold on, you were playing Frost Amphitheater at Stanford? Is I mean, that, are you serious?
2: Well, it was an outdoor venue, I don't know. Oh, my God, this is
1: crazy. Yeah, because you're it, right, Slywood. We was... had
2: no roadies. We had no roadies or nothing, it was just <laughs> the four of us, and we had our little pieces of shit amplifiers out on the stage, Sly's back line looked like the friggin' Maytag showroom. He had these white acoustic amps that were all the size of refrigerators and back there, and all our shit was just set up in front there. And we, uh, Gary wanted us to do a couple of our acoustic songs since we, we did some acoustic songs. The guitars were sitting out there in the cool night breezes and the lights shining on them. So by the time we got to the acoustic song, they were so egregiously out of tune that uh, (laughs) it was horrifying. They were finally hollering at us to get the fuck off the stage, and uh, it was horrible.
1: Uh, I mean... We
2: had our one little pocket of fans from Mammoth Lakes. We'd we'd play up at Mammoth on the weekends, and... uh, that we had a little pocket of about fifteen of our friends right down at the front. They were yelling and clapping, but everyone else wanted to see Sly. And so we, I think, had a I don't know twenty twenty-five minute set. And when that was done, we just had to run right back and start carrying our amps off the stage, get it out of the way for his set to start. All in all, it was just very humiliating. And a, well,
1: is a, it just? It was mismatch. a was it? I mean, okay, but. Let's just break First of all this was after the album was cut. So this is like 1970 or is that around there?
2: I I'd, I'd say yeah, that would be as good a guess as I could give you.
1: And um obviously Sly was cutting records on Epic and and was really
2: oh, Yeah, we were in the studio with Sly a lot of times. They were in a different studio the same night we were at CBS and uh, we'd see them hanging around in the break room and stuff.
1: They were down in they were down in Southern California uh, cutting records because I mean they were is that what because they were essentially yeah
2: they were in in CBS right at the same time we were yeah you know the um,
1: the drummer original drummer Gregorico is a dear friend of mine I I cannot wait to transcribe this story is so funny because I mean I understand you didn't have roadies and I understand like yeah you weren't as popular as Sly and maybe you didn't bring your best game to the table that night. Um, but,
2: uh, but we were unknown. We were totally unknown. They didn't know who we were. Right. And we didn't either.
1: Um, That's just unbelievably fascinating. So, I mean, during that time, were you also, how were you, like, where were you, were you guys playing the Whiskey a Go Go? Were you playing, uh, where were you, what what kind of clubs, how were you singing for your well, supper? Wait
2: way smaller clubs uh, mostly around in the valley and sometimes we'd uh, travel down to a joint called the clubhouse in Long Beach and uh, you know these were just uh, to put food on the table but what, what
1: about like the golden bear in Huntington Beach uh,
2: now that rings a bell right i'm just trying we to never think never played the whiskey nor the troubadour or any of those uh, like major major
1: clubs did you, um, um, how was it measured or, um, what was your feeling like just not a matter of how many records are sold or how it was popular or not, but how did you guys deal with the, or how did it feel to, to get a pressing of really your first LP? Oh,
2: man we felt uh, like the kings of the world
0: <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the
2: beginning boys here we go Here's our record and, uh, oh we were very excited we were on uh, top of the world
1: and how did we was starting yeah.
2: to get uh, was starting to get some acting stuff going on kind of during that time? Jimmy Best that uh, he went to every week, and I, I think he went off to do a, a B movie called Angels Hard as They Come, wow. and was gone for about six weeks, and this was kind of, kind of signaling the beginning of the end of Carp, because uh, we couldn't have him going off and being gone.
1: What is the meaning behind um, the the name of the album? Oh, carp. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, that was always kind of a running joke uh, that a carp is just a a real low life trash fish, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we felt like that suited us pretty well. So yeah, we were carp. In fact, we ended up with a phone number that was something like 877 CARP. <laughs> Three of the guys, Gary and Ron and Glenn, rented a house out in Woodland Hills. And I was married then, and we lived in Reseda in an apartment. But we'd get together every day in the afternoon from about oh, 1 to 5 and
1: rehearse. Even though. It was our general day. You know, playing at the clubhouse or obviously the gig with Sly, I mean, how were you, based on what was happening, what happened with Post three years prior when you had the Studio Sharks doing it all instrumentally, um, how how easy or hard was it to take what you were doing in the studio and present it in a live form? I mean, you guys, nobody would mistake you for, The wrecking crew So I mean Was that part of the Was that part of the issue Was that Well We could
2: We could certainly Duplicate uh, The tracks on the record Because we played them Uh, That was no problem Uh, We could play those songs And sing them Because yeah We had done The recording We probably uh, Probably did the tracks first And then went back over And did the vocals As an overdub I think that's the way Danny did it
1: Yeah, no, I'm curious about your memory and recollection of that session because, um, you know, you guys could all sing really good. And Danny said that.
2: Oh, you mean the Mike Post
1: session? No, 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 no. The the carp session because, you know, basically Busey wanted to sing all the lead vocals. And and Moore's like, well, actually, there are cats in this band that sing better than you. (laughs) 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 And he said that.
2: Yeah, I did. I didn't really remember that part of it, but uh, I think that was a good story.
1: Well, he said it because he said he was, you know, he said, I'm just, you know, partly tongue-in-cheek here, but um, he that was one of the major, he said that he could have really set Busey on his acting course because I think Gary only wound up with one lead vocal on that entire album.
2: Who were... Who, right, I, I, I think that's an exaggeration. I think Gary was probably on four or five. Interesting. say, out of 12-ish. Um, mainly, I was the other vocalist uh, as far as the singing the solo, though everybody could sing, as I remember. Oh, I wanted to tell you an interesting story. You asked once about how we did our vocals.
0: Yeah.
3: Well,
2: Glenn Mitchell, who was the one from Stillwater, his dad, uh, Max Mitchell, was the head of the music department at OSU, and a very educated and scholarly musician himself, Damn. and his mother also was a doctorate in education, and he he played the keyboard, and he'd always be good at, uh, well, you know, if we're doing a C chord on this one, Crowder, you sing the C, and Ron, you got the E, and Gary, you got the G, and we'd move on like that, and we uh, finally deduced that he must have been fertilized by musical sperm.
0: <laughs> his mom and dad must have had the radio
2: going the night he was conceived, oh my God. and he was conceived by musical sperm, and uh, that became his nickname, sperm. From then on, he was known far and wide as sperm, <laughs> and he arranged the vocals.
1: So I mean on, on No, I mean yeah. they, I mean he just his lineage, I mean he, he the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, musical sperm. I mean that's one of the greatest names. Right. I you know, I mean did <laughs> did um any of the cats uh uh not including Busey or yourself maybe, but I mean once it was clear that Carp Carp was not going to be getting a, a big budget for another three record deal, and you know things were. On. Right. Did, did did any of those cats have the chops to? Did they? And did any did any of them continue on in this in the in the music business in the in the racket?
2: Well, as it happens,
1: Ron and
2: Sperm and I uh, all left California about the same time and converged on Tulsa. <sighs> and this is oh, what in oh, seventy two or three. And played around in Tulsa with different various drummers for two or three years, and uh, ended up uh, a friend of ours, Richard Crooks, who's just a phenomenal drummer from uh, New York. He has passed away oh. since, but he uh, he had played with Dr. John and one and another played on a jillion records. But he and his wife had an apartment up in New York, and they thought she was kind of on the verge of a record deal. So we three, me and Ron and Sperm, moved up to New York and lived with them in their apartment and their new baby for uh, a while, and took our shot at a record deal. But uh, we didn't end up getting anything. But we uh, we made some, uh, you know, studio musician. We were able to uh, work as nothing certainly the first call but uh, wait a minute don't have... you
1: do crowder do not be shy about this uh what uh what albums are you are you guys on man this is unbelievable uh
2: well i don't know as a trio that we were on so much together i'm I talking about you yeah, yeah no
1: i'm talking about you like what i know you weren't the first okay. call you weren't the Well first of all Were you playing Were you just being called As a singer Or also a bass player Both Interesting So Uh, I mean listen I mean Yeah go ahead
2: We were playing In little clubs Around New York And these producers This was back in the day When they hired musicians To come in and do demos For jingles uh, For songwriters And so on It wasn't That everybody had a studio In their garage I did Mhm. Uh, and so we got uh, got work around and uh, I played with a band called Deliverance, Eric Weisberg.
1: Oh my
2: god. Are the dueling Banjos? Dueling Banjos.
1: Wait a minute, you're on that album?
2: Uh well, actually no. Uh the Eric after the after the movie was a hit and the song from the movie Uh, He made an album and uh, then had to go out on the road and promote it. And the bass player, Tony Brown, who had actually played, well, yeah, he played on that album. Uh, He left the band and Eric called me to be in the band because Richard Crooks, the drummer, was in the band also. So he got me in the door and uh, I sang and played bass for them for a while.
1: That I mean that's you were uh, you were road dog I mean do you do you remember um were there any any um sessions that stand out in your mind that you were called for in terms of I mean if you look up John Crowder on All Music, you don't find but I mean a lot of times like dueling banjos for instance they they, they don't list the accompanist credits at all. So I don't even you know, Tony Brown or Crook I mean I don't know who was on that actual LP but were you know. who did do you remember was there uh you know, uh any kind of memorable studio experience for you, with a so I can go dig out those records and, and know that you were on them, even if you weren't listed on them.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I do look at AllMusic.com. Uh, that they were all the lesser known people. I didn't get any uh, Whitney that, Houston. Or you know, no, that's like my that. that's
1: that, that's where my that's where the rubber meets the road for me. Who are the less? I I know all the lesser known people. Those are the cats well, I've been in.
2: There was a fellow, South African guy named Tony Bird was one.
1: gee, oh, uh, Tony Bird. B-Y-R-D?
2: Yes, sir. Holy shit. What uh, else? Gene Ritchie was a kind of a folk singer, a, a folk gospel, and I think that album won some kind of award of the year.
1: Yeah, no, that was I like, was that was that on a, a Elektra Records or something like that?
2: I, I can't remember, to be honest.
1: Yeah.
2: I played on a couple of Janice and albums and toured in her band for a couple of years.
1: Yep, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Wait a minute. Uh, I'm, no, I'm just going to throw this down, right? I, I, I'm looking at a Tony Bird, uh, be, uh, like the Bird of Paradise, London Wainwright, Brian Taylor, Gene Ritchie. So, London, you actually did quite a bit of work with London Wainwright. Loudon. Loudon Wainwright. Thank you. And, my God, Leonard. Yeah, he
2: was uh, dead, dead skunk in the middle of the road was his AM hit some
1: years ago. Unbelievable stuff. You know, um, uh, John, we have a game on this program called Name That Voice. Um, uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to put this in for you right now. I want you to pay attention to it, and then we'll come back and break it down.
3: The lead jazz guy in Tulsa during the real early days, uh, the late 50s and 60s, is when I, uh, you know, really started getting into it. And uh, Sonny Gray, and he had his own club. uh, And uh, he had a drummer that was Tulsa's answer to uh, uh, Joe Morello. And we'd go out there. And I'd, I'd. you know, I'd listen to him, and he he'd do things. It was just like, you know, it'd be like watching the Ed Sullivan show, some guy pulling rabbits out of a hat. Right.
1: You know. He had I eight, mean, he he had eight arms. Cool. Yeah. No, he was flying all over the place.
3: He he was so advanced, uh, a drummer beyond anything I did. Now, for my early influence was Leon's drummer Chuck Blackwell, who unfortunately. Uh, we just lost about three, maybe four
1: months ago. Oh, rest and, in peace, Chuck. Man, I didn't know he just left us.
3: Yeah, yeah, we lost Chuck. And, so you, uh,
1: I want to ask you something. This is so important. So you, was he your peer, or was he already a little bit ahead of you? And then, please continue on why he had. Oh, he, he was. He was.
3: He was very much ahead of me. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember the first night. I heard him well, he was playing with Leon. You know, he was considered Leon's drummer for forever. And uh uh the first night I ever went out to hear him, um in fact well of course I've I've had to quit playing now, but uh I still if I was still playing, I still set up my drums and tuned them um uh, in line with what Chuck had that first night I went out to see him, which was, that was probably about 1959 or 1960, was the first time I ever heard Eddie and Leon play. And, um, yeah, Chuck was a, he was a more of a mentor to me, you know, and an inspiration. And
1: uh, You want to take a guess at who that is? I don't know. Well, I'm hoping that, because he went back to... Tulsa. Around the time that your trio, you, Sperm, and the other cat, went back to Tulsa, that was a drummer named Jimmy Carstein.
2: Oh, I know Carstein.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was from my interview, right? So I interviewed Jimmy from March of 2018, and I queued up that clip because I just assumed that Crowder and all you cats were from Tulsa. But how? And I wasn't actually going to play the audio once you told me that you actually were from. Um, stillwater is that right stillwater no fairfax fairfax yeah so Stamps so from stillwater yeah right no but i mean karstein um so but you said you played with different drummers obviously because Busey stayed on the west coast but uh-huh. uh, you know well, any,
2: yeah. now we probably uh we might have played with karstein a time or two <laughs> Seems like he was around and would come out and play
1: Unbelievable, man! I um, <clears throat> how many?
2: Oh, I wanted to say one more thing about the New York days. Do it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> while I was working with uh, Eric and Deliverance, uh, the Cohen brothers called up Eric and said, "We need a yodeler for raising Arizona. Can you come and do that?" And he said, "Well, I can't, but John might be able to. Why don't you give him a call?" And so they did, and I did, and the rest is history.
1: Unbelievable. Raising Arizona. The
2: yoddler on Raising Arizona.
1: John Crowder, is, is, are, are, is any of the remaining trio, uh, including your, but this, yourself aside, are, are the other two cats still with us today?
2: Yes, they're on this earth. Now, Ron Gettman was a member of the group called the Tractors.
1: I don't know that. They bad.
2: had the boogie-woogie choo-choo train of, well, has it been 10 years ago? They were out of Tulsa.
1: Well, I guess I just would love if you could um, maybe connect me with them so I could, you know, um, square the circle on this on this group. And, and uh, is sperm, sperm still around?
2: Living the life of a millionaire down in Florida. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, maybe, maybe Crowder, man, this was such a – we've just been cooking for 51 minutes, man. I mean, this was one of the most epic hangs I've done. Um and oh, well, yeah, yeah And uh Maybe you can connect me With those guys So we can just keep Digging through the stories Cause um You know All that's gold Doesn't always shine You know
2: Right Well I will Uh I will tell these boys By Via email And uh That you're looking for them And uh If they say If they seem to be interested I'll uh Give you their phone numbers
1: Thank you Crowder And uh really uh happy holidays to you and your family and and thanks for taking the time man it was such a ball man i'll get you i'll I'll put up a copy of this later i'll probably be transcribing some of the interviews because i mean it's all about messing up the mind of a young girl these you know that that still hasn't changed and and to to now know that daisy's on that and whatever man it's just uh oh yeah it's a magical thing man that was
2: the wrecking crew yeah
1: the original crew, man. So yeah, go about your day. Have a beautiful day. I'll get you a copy of this later. And, and please let me know about Sperm and, and the other cat as well. Sperm and Ron. Sperm yeah. and Ron, baby. And uh, best to you, my yeah. friend. All right. Thank you so much. All right, dude. Talk to you soon, man. Okay. Later. Bye bye. Bye. Just a humble cat, yodeler, singer, and great bass player, John Crowder. We'll be back. With Roy Seaburn right after this.